0: And he was an avid outdoorsman. So he knew all these little places. And I realized all of a sudden, while we're walking out on this very dilapidated pier, it's just me and him. And I can't see lights. And there's nobody around. And he walks me all the way to the end. And he gets down on his knees. And he just begins to cry. And he starts telling me that he's not doing this to me that someone must be breaking in my window at night and he would never hurt me. And my internal instinct was like, I better agree or I might not come back from here.
1: Welcome to the show, LC.
0: Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm Happy to have made this acquaintance with you. I love the show. I I love what you're putting out there, and I'm just super honored to be here, man.
1: uh thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Yeah, you reached out. You I guess you had found one of the episodes, and then you had messaged me that about like was it Courtney's? I think was it around Courtney's? I
0: I can't even remember. There I watched a few of them right in a row, and it was right after I had 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 interviewed Kim Bellis with "Sober as the New Cool" on on my podcast and. And I just had there were so many great new people. Have you noticed like on social media when you hook up with like one awesome person, a load of awesome people come out. And so all of a sudden there you were, man. And I was like, it's exciting. So, you know, I watched a few of the shows and then you sent me one with a guest that I thoroughly enjoyed. And so, yeah. Oh,
1: Jill. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: And we'll even get into the similarities eventually. You know, so what is uh, we'll start with what is your sober date?
0: My sober date is April the 18th of 2013. Okay. all right. Yeah, year eight, man.
1: Year eight. Look at you go. Now, what was going on for you in April 2013 to where you changed your life around?
0: Well, I tell you, did you get
1: arrested? You know what I mean? Was there like an inciting incident? Like, you know, like.
0: Well, there was the year before. See, I was already in outpatient treatment at that time. And, but. I was still dabbling, like I was still dabbling. And so on April the 18th of 2013, I'd been in an outpatient program for a year and already had had like this big aha moment that I needed a recovery program, not just a try to get clean and sober type thing. Like I needed a healing program and I was in the midst of it, but I was still back and forth. So I was smoking weed. And my wife was in the middle of a heroin relapse and she had gone to um, an inpatient treatment. It was just me and my son there. And I had found myself smoking weed as if it were heroin. And I sat down with this dime bag of weed and I put it on a plate and was doing my thing with it. And then I had this internal conversation with my son in my mind. And I, I just sat there with the plate and I said, okay, man. I did the best I could because of this. Uh, we're going to be able to stay in this house maybe three more months. Um, I've had a hard life, man, and I want the best for you. And And I tried not to be a hypocrite and I really tried to change my life, but I'm too far gone. And because I'm going to continue to $10 this to death, we're just, you're going to have to probably go live with relatives and this is you know that's going to be that and i love you i really do and this has nothing to do with you and i'm sorry and it was just that internal dialogue thinking to have to go upstairs and and tell my son who was already without his mom right then you know he had a he had a dad that was very you know in another state that was just not present in his life and so it was just me and him and i thought i can't do that like i started this recovery journey because I didn't want to be a hypocrite to him. And so right now, I'm going to call this day, April the 18th of 2013, my sober date. And from that moment on, I have not touched another substance. I've, you know, been following and creating a program of my own. And I've just been in it every single day since.
1: Every That's day. awesome. So you you had, you know, basically just a spiritual awakening that day. You it was. You had that. You had yeah. that moment of clarity of, wait, yeah. what is it like, it's like we wake up, you yeah. know, it's like we finally it's like we come to when it's like, what the fuck am I doing?
0: Right. <laughs> right. That's the honest truth, man, because it was so clear in that moment. It was like, really, you're going to do all this over weed. It's like, man, you've been you've been off heroin, you know, and shit, the shit that was going to kill you. You've been off that man for a year and you're just going to give it all up over weed no now, we're not going and, out
1: like that and and because that let's let's backtrack some more then so i think i read somewhere 22 years of addiction oh yeah you have, a, you have a youtube page so i think like yeah. your like your description says something like battled for addiction yeah for 22 years yeah before man. you got sober so yeah you're talking how old are you lc i'm
0: i'll be 48 monday 28 so, Monday. Well, happy yeah. birthday Monday. Thank and, you, man. Um, Appreciate it. So,
1: you know, you got into drugs then at 18.
0: Well, actually, I started drinking when I was 11. Um, oh, me too. Yeah. I, I saw that in one of our videos. I said, yeah, we got some stuff in common. Yeah, yeah. man. I, I started drinking at 11 and heavy because my dad, who I only met when I was eight. Should we give um, the
1: spoiler alert to the crowd, to, to the audience that doesn't already know you?
0: oh yeah so when when you
1: were 11 when you were 11 and drinking
0: yeah i was a girl you were a girl i was was physically a girl inside a boy and desperate for my dad to see me as his son and so and whenever we were drinking together because that's what he'd do on the weekends so you
1: had no were you an only child
0: i i wasn't an only child he actually had the son that he wanted um After you? you? After me. So still,
1: but when you were born, it was like, oh, I wanted a son.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was very much known. And then when I was two, he left. And they did have this thing between the parents where he gave up his rights to me so that he could start over with his new family. And I was stuck with my mom, who was a young teenage girl who was outrunning her family with all these monsters of men. And so she was marrying one after the other and where did you awful. grow up where did you grow up I grew up in south alabama
1: okay so you know that's a small area then for you can't Very. really run far no. um and i say that because i understand the circuit my wife who right now um watching this or listening is shaking her head into green um when she was born you know her name is michael m-i-c-h-e-l wow. And yeah. when I call it in, people, you know, I, she doesn't like talking on the phone. You know, she gets all, you know, so I always call like the cable company as yeah. her and say, yeah, Michael, get you know, that. because, you know, she doesn't, you know, they don't know. And so always, yeah. they always get confused with me. Like whenever I call the doctors, like, oh, I'm calling for my wife, Michael. And they're yeah. like, wife, Michael, you know, but she goes <laughs> by Mikey yeah. M-Y-K-E-E yeah. is what she came up with herself. But yeah, still her cool. dad left her, you know, when she was like one. And then started a family with another woman on the other side of town, yep. you know, where, yep. she, where he got his sons. And, you know, she never saw him, you know, really ever again. He ended up dying eventually, wow. you know. Wow. The, the karma came back, though, because he never officially divorced her mom. Oh, so wow. when he died, guess what? The pension, like his social security, wow. all went to her and not to yep. his current, you know, girlfriend of 30 uh, some years. Now that he had a family horrible. with.
0: That that's karma.
1: karma
0: yes yeah. it is yes yeah, it is. So, so that was my
1: <laughs> you know and <laughs> now all of a sudden you know that's that's how that works out sometimes you know so but yes. i can see how that happens especially when you're like you know she's 38 you're 48 back in the 80s it was a lot easier for men yes. to just leave their families oh, yeah. you know one of my favorite comedians is this guy sam moral he's a new york city comedian and he talks about how his dad started a family two blocks down in new york city like, and he had no idea for 18 years that his dad was two blocks
0: away. <laughs> his mom
1: finally was walking down the street. He's like, oh, your dad lives there. He's like, the, you've known this this whole time? Yeah, I didn't want to upset you, Sammy. Like, you know, it's like a joke of his, you know? So I totally get. So like, where now, what wild, was your man. name? I got to know, what was your name? And you knew that, you know, you <laughs> want, needed to be a boy. You are a guy
0: oh yeah man i I knew when I was four years old like I knew that that something just was amiss like I knew that my my mind inside did not match my body and i I only realized there were differences because my grandfather was like my best friend. And so at bath time, you know, I wouldn't take a bath, I didn't do anything without him. So he'd throw his swim trunks on and get in the bathtub and, you know, we'd play and everything. And I remember having this conversation with him about why he had to have, you know, swimming trunks on. And he, you know, started telling me, well, because we're different, you know, you're a girl and and I'm a man and I'm grown and and all that stuff. And, and I just remember thinking, but no, that's not right. No, because really... I'm a boy and I knew that I was. And, and then about a year later, my mom had married this much older man that, that I I look back now and know that he groomed her to, to abuse me. He was, he was definitely a predator.
1: We didn't, yeah, and we didn't know what grooming was until recently, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yes. You know, now you look back and you're like, Charlie Chaplin was grooming people, you know, but you don't know that shit Yeah, you don't, no. Um, And then now we look back and you're like, oh, I totally, I totally see it because, you know, I've had, um, you know, Tiffany Hamilton, she's a big creator on TikTok. She's got like 250,000 followers on TikTok. Um, but oh, She's a, she's Canadian. Um, she has a podcast called Never Alone Support, and she talks in her podcast about how her stepdad was her boyfriend from three to 15. Wow. And how her mom, her. Her, her mom just like uh, was OK with it, you know, kind wow. of thing. And her, her mom was and I said, it sounds like your mom was sought after because she had a one year old baby with no dad in the picture. Yeah. And he and he sought after her. Yeah. And then groomed you. And then all of a sudden you didn't know any different growing up. You just thought this is how it was. Everyone has their boyfriend as their stepdad. Yeah. How is it weird for you? And now she talks about it all the time and she's not shy about it. And she's sober for her. She's sober, too. She would be a Mm. great guest for you.
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna uh, She's on her. TikTok
1: and Instagram. I'll I'll link okay. you up. Um I'm cool. all about linking Please. up, you know, people together, yeah, me especially too. when we have shows like this, you know, her show too, yes. where she could talk to you about what you dealt with.
0: Yeah. So man, that's amazing.
1: How old were you when that started happening with you like your new stepdad?
0: I was, was 5 stepdad? years old. Yeah. Yeah, he ended up being my stepdad and oh. I was 5 years old and so it went on until I was 11. And I finally told when I was 11. And I mean, when I say this man was like a monster, like he was really messed up. You know, he was a Vietnam veteran. He had gone through a lot of abuse in his own life, seeing his mom murdered and different things. So like there was a part of me that felt sorry for him. Like as a young child, I felt sorry for what he was doing to me because I knew that something wasn't right, but he was a man that you, you, you had to be, you learned to fear for your life because he could snap out. I learned to count the beers. This was how I knew what kind of night it was because kids develop these amazing survival techniques that are, I, I mean, they rival any damn movie you can watch kids develop how to survive. And I remember being able to count the beers to know how quiet I needed to be, how you know unseen I needed to be, and then try to just kind of not be there. And so I was five. I told when I was 11, but he had done things in a way that when my mom took me to this doctor, the doctor never asked me what happened. She did her own examinations and she only she had a criteria of, well, did he do this, this or this? And the honest truth was he had not done those things, but she never asked me what he did do. And so from that moment, she goes back and tells my mom that it didn't happen. And so here's my mom, who's, I think, 27 at the time. And this man's like close to 50. and she's in her own space trying to survive because he would almost killed her in front of me several times so she he comes home she tells him what's been said and he takes me out and at at night after work he takes me out to this abandoned pier on the mobile bay so we're from a little town called daphne alabama so it's right sits right on the mobile bay And he was an avid outdoorsman. So he knew all these little places. And I realized all of a sudden, while we're walking out on this very dilapidated pier, it's just me and him. And I can't see lights. And there's nobody around. And he walks me all the way to the end. And he gets down on his knees. And he just begins to cry. And he starts telling me that he's not doing this to me. That someone must be breaking in my window at night and that he would never hurt me. And my internal instinct was like, I better agree or I might not come back from here. And so in that moment, I mean, I just remember going, you're right. Somebody must be breaking in at night and, you know, and you're right. Because I just wanted to go back.
1: Did he ever do it again?
0: He never did it again. He I, tried. He tried a few times but he never did it again
1: i think he definitely got scared yeah i think he definitely got scared and realized how lucky he got that he got he skated out of that one yeah i think he realized you're not just some dumb five-year-old girl anymore yeah that you're gonna talk yeah and i better stop this or she's gonna keep fucking talking yeah. You know, and I, I say she be. I'm yeah. not being disrespectful. No, just, I get you know, it. No. No, for sure. Um, yeah. um I'm all about pronoun. Like you can see behind nah, me. Like, yeah, yeah.
0: Really.
1: Like, so like all about. But anyway, I can. But that's totally who I was then. Yeah. How the, how long did they stay together after that?
0: Um, not not very long, but okay. they didn't leave for me. I had had a small sister, um, that my mom had with him, and she was six years younger than me, and and she had been standing up on the table and flipped off the back and hurt herself. And and there had been an incident like that a few months before. And she had ended up, he told mom, you know, don't touch her, you know, and she ended up having a broken collarbone and she had to lay there all night um, with this broken collarbone. And my mom vowed never again. Well, this big day, my sister flips off the table again. He yells at my mom not to touch her, and my mom stands up. She's had enough, and she stands up. And then the shit really hits the fan. You know, he he throws this bowl of mashed potatoes. Then he gets up and he comes at her. My mom's about five foot, all of five foot. I think at that time, she weighed 97 pounds and he was a six foot tall man, big man. And I just remember him bearing his fist back and hitting her twice with two like roundhouse rights. And I just remember her standing there and her just taking those punches and never moving like she had had enough. And that's the day that we left. And and after that, I mean, that was probably a year that we, we went to my grandparents house and we would sleep in the hallway because he would leave bullets in the mailbox with our names on them every morning. And he was such a, you know, he was a special forces guy. So we were we were in constant fear for the longest time. And I, I'm pretty sure that's why my mom got married again pretty quickly after that, Protect. because my grandparents just kind of. Said, "Yeah, mm-hmm. y'all move here," and then this they left. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah, that's it. <laughs> nah, yeah, and so
1: oh, so he got was four was walls a and a roof for you guys. That's yeah, it. here you yeah. go. And but that, have... but that wasn't long after, though. That, yeah, like yeah. so, like the whole entire like the pier incident to that incident. How long do you think that was?
0: I'd say that was maybe, gosh, looking back on it, maybe it was six months. Do you I, think, I think
1: that had? anything to do with think about the but no but i I know know. but do you think i don't know i i because you know i look into things like i I wonder about the sexual tension not sexual sexual frustration yeah you you know because his you know usual thing that he's playing you know what i mean like is not there and And then so he's getting more and more frustrated and upset so there's a boiling point that you hit
0: yeah Never thought of it that way, man. That's a great point because, you know, I always looked at it from like my mom's point of view, but I never looked at it from like his point of view. How long after did he
1: pass away?
0: He, he just passed away this past year.
1: Okay. I I knew he was, I just, by the way you were talking about him, I knew that he, you know, died eventually. I just didn't know. Yeah. So
0: here where I, I thought I'd gone through a, a, a very active, um, forgiveness and I do think that I did go because forgiveness I believe in some cases is a process you know and there's many phases to it and in like my third year of recovery I really started working on that one and then when he got sick this past year because um about six years ago he sent um all of his children, my sister, and he had two sons, and he sent me a $1,000 check, and he wrote me this letter. But in the letter, it just talked about addiction and how we're selfish when we're in our addictions and different things. And he never took any responsibility for what he did in my just life. just explained it. Yeah, yeah, just pretty much said, well, well you know how homework. we are. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. some general—
0: <laughs> Roundabout statement. This is is
1: the best you're going to get from a Vietnam vet. So just take it. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's almost fitting though because you know we're recording this on Sunday, you know the 16th or whatever, right? Or yeah, but tomorrow's your birthday, the 17th, right? Yeah. Um. Well, and I don't know what kind of fellowship you're into, but I read just for today every single day.
0: Really? And
1: and I read it like as a daily show with this other podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Saw that. Yeah, it's and that, yeah. we already pre-recorded for tomorrow, and so I already know that tomorrow's is for forgiveness. Wow. So on, that's tomorrow's just for today on January seventeenth wow. is wow. actually all every year on your birthday just for that's today wild. is about forgiveness.
0: That and that so, is profound. That's so every profound. every year on your
1: birthday, you're coming up. You're like, I got to be forgiving before I get. Yeah. I got to them before <laughs> they forgive me.
0: So, Amen to that. <laughs> so that's I'm pretty glad. profound. That's yeah, I'd
1: yeah, like to find that, you know, that weird little shit and give the yeah, people I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always looking That's for really the weird.
0: Cool. Oh, not, yeah, man. And not
1: obvious, you know. Okay, yeah, so man. now you're 11 years old, 12 years old. Now you, how is this new dad?
0: Oh, he's an asshole, man. <laughs> like, he's he's one extreme to the other. He doesn't, now this one doesn't sexually abuse us, but he is very emotionally and physically abusive it's
2: which I've heard
1: can be even worse
0: oh I thought it was because the
1: physical you at least you know what's going to happen to you physically and the mental part of it stays with you all day long the physical part like you said you can count the beers and I'm sure you could count well if he has eight beers then it's only going to take him eight minutes if it's nine beers it's going to be this long and it's need to get through it because it sounds like you were a very like I'm going to get through this because just to get, I'm a people pleaser. That's why on the pier, you just said, yep, I'm a dumb girl. And yep, Yep. somebody was coming through my window. You were absolutely. that's right. It's uh, that's that survival. So, but when it's the mental thing, you can't escape that. You You never know when it's going to happen because it's going to creep up. You could be brushing your teeth and it's going to creep up in your head. And that's why it's more fucked. And it stays with you longer because you don't know when it's, you could be in school. You don't. And it's fucking with you. It's all yeah. day long. It's the mental anguish. Like so you're not thinking about your other stepdad abusing you. That's when he's drunk. When you're in school, because you're safe in school.
0: Right. But right. The
1: mental one that fucks with you mentally. You are thinking about that.
0: In yeah. School. Yeah. That tells you you're stupid or you're fat or you know you're you can't do this or or I mean it was yeah I mean he was I felt like he was more of a monster then you know the last one because of those things and did and you have body stupid. image
1: issues too as oh a girl god. oh because, my god because you know god. being a girl in the 80s and 90s is you oh. know girls today yeah okay now listen there's it's the extremes it's like your stepdads so the girls today have the extreme of social media but yes. the girls of you know you and my wife that you guys dealt with was more like oh look at the girls on friends why can't oh, yeah. you be as skinny as them? Why can't you oh, have the hair man. like them? Why can't oh, you man. look like them in the magazine and tabloids? And, you oh, know, it was so, you know, so I it get that, that that's why it's a spectrum, too, of of that. You know, the mm-hmm. extremes of yeah. how bad it is to be a girl today with social media and the likes <laughs> and the pressures. And I get that. And the online bullying. I totally yeah, see it. Man. I hear you. It's valid. I get it. But we had to deal with some crazy shit, too. That. was Oh, Yeah. Mentally torturing, because guess what? You can at least escape in your phone to a different app. You right. can go into Solitaire and escape for right. an hour. You can right. go and play this game and escape. There was no yeah. escaping the mental anguish because we didn't have the distraction no. at our fingertips.
0: No, and also now you can find other people like you. Back then, you know, you couldn't just there was dial no tribe. up. There no, was no tribe.
1: No. Just like Jill said. Jill... I mean, you watched Jill. Jill didn't uh-huh, figure yeah. out that trance was
0: even a thing until 2010. And man, she was like, that's, was what, like, I I mean, that's I know, what I am. That's what I am. I know. Like, we'll I didn't know it had a name until Chaz Bono came out in the 90s about, you know, transitioning, becoming a man. And I was like, holy shit, it can be done. Like, I didn't even know it could be done or it had a name. I just... Always, so I always tagged myself God's little joke because I was like, How in the hell do you put this? And we're talking about 11, 12 years old. My body was like turning against me all of a sudden, you know, like I'm being forced to wear bras, and this was the epitome of like death for me. And then let's don't talk about that monthly thing that comes on for girls. I, I just I never wanted to leave the house like I thought this can't be happening to me this has got to be the worst thing ever because I'm like I'm a boy
1: so okay so now now you're like you this guy's an asshole and school was tough for you I'm sure oh my like, god now oh, um, gosh. and the body image issues you were having is it because you were a bigger girl or were
0: you like trying to be skinnier <laughs> or too skinny Well, the thing is, is I realized, you know, like when I was younger, while the sexual abuse was going on, I equated sex and I kind of knew that's what was happening. Sex with attraction. So I thought that if I made myself unattractive, it would stop. So I began gaining a lot of weight. So I was a very I was a large child. Um, I had to, of course, ask him if I could cut my hair off because my hair was really long. My mom left it really long and I hated it. So I wanted it cut off. And so I had short hair. I was a very pudgy, large child. So, yeah, it just got worse. I'd say I was already basically escaping my trauma through food. So I was already in an addictive behavior. Probably when I was seven years old, because that's how I would find relief.
1: And I just realized that you also told me, like me, you started drinking at 11. Yeah. Um, But also you told me that that's when the abuse stopped. Yeah. Yeah. So and from what I have, I've talked to somebody else that she got into cocaine as soon as her uncle stopped touching her. Um, you know what wow. I mean, and she yeah. got and you got into like and that's other things have happened that so I've heard of that where you get into drugs when abuse stops, not during abuse, yeah, you know, then there's the guy I've had on the show that he was being drugged at five mm. until he was ten years old by his stepdad uh. and his aunt. So that's how the first two minutes of the show started because I I go in blind, as you know. So he started with that. I'm like, all right, let's let's hear your story. Like, you know, 50 years old, he got sober finally, and now he's doing really good. Good You know, he's up in Chicago. He's, you know, but he's got some crazy stories about some, you know, rituals, like devil rituals and shit in his basement, satanic shit. Okay, meth is crazy man and that's the hell of a drug
0: people that's the thing i say about you know addiction you know everybody likes to shame addicts but i'll tell you what you know addicts are some of the strongest motherfuckers on the earth because we're carrying some shit that the normal everyday person couldn't even begin to tote you know and, they couldn't and we begin still to carry are,
1: bro we still exactly are, because we're hearing yeah. about it today like A lot of my family are normies, right? So a lot of my family, my brother, my sister, my mom and dad, we're all really close. Mm -hmm. None of them have ever had any kind of problems with, you know, addictions to drugs or alcohol. They can barely watch or listen to my show. Like if they're listening or watching right now, text me that you heard this because guess what? I won't get a text because the subject matter to them is so tough. That yeah. they can't get through, you know, hearing the stories that, you know, and, and, and it's not like, you know, and they understand that it's, I'm going to keep putting it out there. I'm not making this content for them. You right, know, right. And that's the whole point of this. Not everybody can watch us or listen. To yeah. This. Yeah. But the people that are still struggling, guess what? They can hear this shit.
0: They identify They are with the, ones. Yeah, the ones.
1: They're the ones that are They're carrying it
0: right now. Yeah, yeah, they're carrying it right now. And listening to us talk about this stuff and not being afraid to talk about this stuff is what gives them also the ability to say, well, you know, I'm hearing a horde story that's that you know is kind of like mine or either mine's not that bad i can you know whatever it is i mean trauma's trauma and we all have it and it's each person's it's it's just as important but i think when somebody can hear someone else share some shit that's really hard i didn't open up and tell anybody after the day my mom said she didn't believe me because the doctor said it didn't happen i never spoke about that again until I was probably in my late twenties. And why would you even waste right, your breath? Right. And also I felt like it made me look weak to the people I was with. Like I was I was identifying as a lesbian at that point. And you know, I I needed the females I liked very feminine females. And I needed them to know that they were safe in my hands. And if they knew that I was unable to keep myself safe then I couldn't keep them safe. And I didn't want them to look at me in any kind of strange way. It carries, you carry it, man.
1: And the irony of that, LC, is what's really crazy to me because today you would be looked at as the stronger person for getting through what you got through. Absolutely. But we're so fucked in our minds and addiction that everything is our fault. We are the weak person anyway. That no matter how it really looks... It it's it's that thing of how there's always a positive to a negative, right? Yeah and we're yeah. always on the negative side of it. Yes. <laughs> it's that thing of you're finding all the negatives, but really yep. the positive side yep. to you getting through that is you're stronger because of it. Yes. Look at you still standing that you can talk yes. about these things. Yeah. You can help other people with your words. Yes. If Martin Luther King didn't want to fucking help with his words, how many people would it be quoting right. it today? So you, know, you have to use your words because you don't know who's gonna hear it and take it and right. run with it. There's yeah, no. still things I heard from people that, you know, they're not activists, they're not social media people, but they've said one one sentence to me over and over one that thing. I'll never forget. That's always yeah. sticks with my mind. And yep. that's what's important. That's why we talk. That's yeah. why we that's why we communicate, why we yeah. network. Um, that's why we recover out loud, you know. Absolutely,
0: man. No. So
1: um and you're in your late twenties, but from my math, if you didn't find out what trans was until mid to late 90s, that would have put you in your mid to late 20s. Yeah. So you, you know, what? How old were you when you started transit? Well, well, how? I, I'm curious. I will, and we'll get there. How old were you?
0: I was 44 years old. I've only been transitioning for three years.
1: Hey, look at that, Jill. Then that means you guys I, are spot on the same the same fucking age, mid 20s. I know.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I always say I could have never. I could have never began transitioning without my recovery. So it's like my recovery and my transition story, they run neck and neck because Were you I in used... women's only meetings? No, I never, I I didn't do meetings when I came back to recovery this time. So, so in 20, 2010 and well, 2011 and 2012, I had had some clean time but I didn't have any recovery time. Like, I no, didn't. Man, you look good for three anything. years.
1: For three thank years. You, you look thank good. That, yeah, I got to give you, I'll give thank you that you. right now. Cause like, I, I would have guessed at least 10.
0: Well, you thank know what you. I mean? Yeah. I think, I think that in, in this case, the female to male people who transition that we're, we have a lot more blessings in that the hormones really do a lot of the work. For <sighs> male to female, great. they have to do a lot more work. And so they're always my heroes, man. Every time you know i'm in and i do i I do know somebody
1: and and she's probably even listening you know and uh, emily if she's listening i'll shout her on name um she's i think 42 or 43 and she just came out transitioned oh good um transitioning and and like you know her wife is completely supportive and everything like that and it's awesome and that's amazing and but yeah exactly i see the struggle that she's dealing with too so i know exactly what you mean when you say like Yeah. yeah they're they're the ones that's like oh you're the heroes like because, yeah. yeah. like, for me, like, for you, you were already, like, done with not worrying about having kids anyway. Like, that shit's, oh, like, yeah. done. Yeah. Like, I, I know, like, a dude that, you know, has to, just had a hysterectomy at 21, Yeah. you know, to yeah. transition. And yeah. it's taking a toll on his body. Oh, and gosh, the recovery God. process is, uh, it was like, a six- to eight-week thing, and it's a rough— Yeah. And for you at okay. 45, you know, it's like, oh, this shit was going anyway. I was done with that part. I was done with that anyway.
0: (laughs) And I, you know, I was really blessed because I ended up having to have that stuff taken out, man, back in like 2010 or 2009. So All that, because one of the weirdest things about me, and I think this is what a lot of the the general public doesn't know about, and I think a lot of trans people don't really know this either, because unless you have a specific genetics test, you'll never know unless you physically show. I was born intersexed, but I wasn't born intersexed enough to where my genitalia was so mangled or presented that the doctor's did anything. And I'm so grateful for that because so many times when children are born intersexed, then the doctors make the decision upon what this child is going to present as. And I say 10 out of 10 times, it don't work. Like, They sew a little vagina on there, and then this person's like, "I'm a boy." Like, yeah, they're gonna guess.
1: Yeah, it's not for you to decide,
0: right? It's not. And I'm so grateful for parents now that are that are becoming more awakened to who their children are and what their role actually is, you know, in their lives that they're willing to to decide to see what this child's gonna become.
1: I I started laughing because I realized, like, you know, I remember we grew up in a time where, like. You, you couldn't even pick your religion, you know, like you you were born and your parents were like your Catholic or Christian. You couldn't even pick your religion, bro. Nothing. And you couldn't pick shit no (laughs) you're like no i'm not catholic though like no yes you are (laughs) motherfucker
0: you're catholic yes you're catholic and (laughs) you're wearing that Garanimals outfit i don't care what you think
1: yeah and now you know 35 years you know i was born in mid-80s so like now it's now people are born it's like you know you have a lot more choices (laughs) yeah
0: they don't even know lucky they are man you got so many flipping choices now yeah Yeah, No and, choice, and, and
1: there's and we have we have meetings here, you know, at our meeting center for LGBTQ. We have a big community Good. for LGBTQ, and we e- we even invite the youth. And it's Good. crazy. There are so many transition, you know. Even we live in the middle of nowhere in the mountains in PA, and oh, I wow. say we get like seven or eight, you know, thirteen to fifteen year olds that come every oh, that's Thursday. Amazing. And ha- half of them are transitioned already, and like, they, them, and they change. <clears throat> and, you know, the first time they were all there, we were all like crying, like just so happy, like to see it.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, it's
0: beautiful, man.
1: But, you know, the the one, the one girl, it, not the one girl, like the, the one guy that comes, um, the father, one of the fathers, he comes and he had oh, said, wow. like, He just worries, and I totally get this, and he worries that they don't know how hard it really is.
0: That's why I like to mentor them.
1: Yeah, you know, they, you know, a lot of the teenagers now, they have a lot of what they have. They can be open with each other in school and dress the way they want to dress and say the things they want to say. Because of you going through the front lines years ago. Yes, it's, yes. You know, I've had, you know, how Jill, my friend Vince, there's a lot of people that have been on my show even that were, you know, gay. Like my friend Franklin that's been on my show twice. He mm-hmm. was the first person that was really like gay in our school, like
2: out this about This episode it. is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. If you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo. We have a cash app. We have a PayPal. We have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor, but I'll let you get back to the episode. And
1: where even on my show, he said, like, I was told I was gay before I knew that I said I was gay. Like that, that's like everyone was just like, like, no, like Franklin, you're gay, right? Like that's you're gay. Like, <laughs> but everyone liked him. He never got yeah. picked on for it. You know, he wow. was, you know, he did Michael Jackson down the hallway, and he had like a little shtick and everyone liked. And he oh, had hearing, and I was like, bro, you had hearing aids, and you were a skinny kid. Like, the not, no one was gonna hurt you, and you know. So, <laughs> but that's the thing is, like, he broke down those barriers by being that only, you know, out kid yeah. in school. My friend Vince yeah. being the only out kid in his school that was on my show. He broke down those barriers for the kids now that, yes. like, and, and let's and Glee, <laughs> and yeah. Glee really tore the yeah. wall down for everybody. Oh, yeah, else. yeah, Everyone that was, was the, the barrier In the yep. 2000s, and the 90s and 2000s, oh, yeah. they were knocking on the wall. Oh yeah. yeah. And in 2009 and 2010, Glee hits the screen, <laughs> and then the barriers just get pulled down, and yep. you're, it's in your living room, and you're like, what's trans? Yes. What is this?
0: You're absolutely right. If it weren't for the gay nineties, man, we could not have all that we have. I mean, it was, you know, I often say, even though, you know, identifying as a lesbian was close to it was it was where I felt most comfortable. Um, and I just, you know, I think about being gay in the nineties, and I'm so grateful that I was, because, you know, it was a amazing like oh, you, know, you were
1: like Ellen?
0: Yeah, like, it was. That, that's, what, that's what everyone
1: said to you, right? Yeah. Everyone, probably. Oh, yeah. How many times did you hear? If you had a dime, like, oh, like oh Ellen, God. you're gay, like yep. Ellen,
0: Just like Ellen, just like Ellen. It was. It, it was an amazing I can't time. Imagine. Man. It was an amazing time. Just <laughs> feeling so empowered. But you know what I always like to do when I mentor trans youth is, you know, is to make sure that they do understand that there's going to be this time because. There's not only a physical transition, there's an emotional transition. Your brain, you know, let's just let's just go into some science right now for, say, for a female uh, transitioning to a male, your brain structure actually physically changes. And there are going to be things about yourself that maybe you didn't realize that you had an affinity for until you lose them. I was a, an amazing you know I started doing live recovery videos 4 years ago and I I I wanted there to be something for people in the in their hour of need and I thought there's got to be something and so I created these started doing these live videos and just talking about my journey as I was talking about that my biggest thing was you got to heal your root causes, man. Like you got to heal your root causes of addiction or else you're always just laying in wait for relapse. You know, it just takes one thing to happen. You're in relapse. About three three years into that is when I had healed the trauma. I had healed the sexual stuff. I had healed and forgiven. And I was butted up against this one thing. My son was graduating high school You know, I couldn't turn my head from the trans thing anymore. Um, I just had to explore it. And and so I did. One thing that was not, and I shared that, and I've shared that continuously over my, and I lost a lot of followers. I mean, before I started really having noticeable physical changes, we were reaching 40,000 people a day on Facebook. Now it's like starting over from scratch because you lose people and that's okay because I'd rather stand as my authentic self but also what was happening is there was no one there to to explain to me how the emotional changes were going to be how the things that you like are going to change your the way you speak is going to change males and females have a different speech structure and and how they draw vocabulary and you know if i've been in a female brain and was a a public speaker for you know 44 years now all of a sudden i got to relearn how to 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 find words it's not like you who's been in your male brain and can speak just like that and find your words now it's changing there's this period of time just like in recovery, where you start making some physical changes, but you're not quite passable yet. So you're going through puberty. Your face is greasy. You got zits everywhere <laughs> yeah, as a four-year-old. All the acne is oh, disgusting, man. Those big, ugly, painful teenage bumps you'd get, man. You just need an ice pack for it. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but you're going through all that shit, and you're not passing. So you come to. You know, you have to use the bathroom and you come to this place where you're standing in front of these two doors, like female or male. Where am I not going to get beat up? You know, like, am I too male Actually, to go into Alabama. female? Especially, Especially in yeah. And now I live in North Carolina, bro. And oh, this dude. is a big fight now.
1: You, you know, that <laughs> when did you live in North Carolina? Because I lived in North Carolina in 2015 and 2016. I, during... I was here, bro. I was here, bro
0: during HB2.
1: Yes, I was oh. there and actually you know, okay, I I was I where are you at North Carolina? I was in
0: Durham. I'm just outside of Wilmington. Okay, so, so I, w-
1: I was I was in Durham which is kind of it's 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 kind of split, right? It's kind yeah. of liberal um yeah. because of Duke, you know, it's the only reason why is because yeah. of Duke. Yeah. <laughs> um and I would and I lived downtown. So like oh, okay. I walked I walked to like you know, um, Brightleaf Square was where I hung out, and that was the main part of downtown. Yeah. yeah. And um, I would, I was an alcoholic at the time, and mm-hmm. I mean, six nights a week I was at the bar, like I had my own stool. And gotcha. you know, I was protected at the bar because of how much money I spent. My fiance oh, yeah. had just committed suicide, oh, so man. I was like spinning out of control at that point, and just I needed to drink it away because not even drugs yeah. could do it. I needed to drink it away. So, because I, I was looking for fights too, <clears throat> you know what I mean. <clears throat> Let's be real. I was looking looking for problems, and yeah. so I fought about this at the bar all the time because I would get it, I would find the people that I would want to find. I would find that person that I want to argue with over yep. a cigarette. I yep. want to find you, and I'm going to make sure you understand my point of view until you're going to leave here hating my fucking guts, yep. you know. And that's how I was yep. that entire year, and it culminated for me up until. I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. And finally, I was going to see them live. And it was on April 20th, 2016. And I'm a pothead, and 420 is my day, bro. And I'm like, you know, awesome. I'm going to see them on 420. (laughs) This is going to be amazing, right? And they canceled the show the day before.
0: Oh, shit.
1: (laughs) And they canceled the show out of protest.
0: Yep, I remember, I remember now They
1: were protesting, you know, the state of North Carolina And they were not going to help North Carolina make any kind of money And here's all your money back, and we all got a refund And I had never felt so much disappointment And at the same time, like, gratitude And I was so happy and proud I was, like, never so happy to be be a fan But I was so upset as a fan Because I wanted to see them so bad Yeah yeah, and so I remember it was 2016 and that bathroom controversy was wild in North Carolina. So yeah. when you said Alabama, I'm thinking North Carolina already. And it turns out we were in the same state yeah. during that it, shit.
0: It, exactly. Exactly. And you know, that was before I transitioned and I did not even understand it as deeply as I understand as I get it now. Like, you know, like if I'd have got it then like I get it now. My gosh, I would have screamed from every rooftop because it's hard, man. I mean, when we're talking about if I have to go to the bathroom, I'm committing a crime by going in the bathroom that matches how I look. And if and and if I go into the bathroom that matches my still gender or my let's say my birth certificate I'm going to be ridiculed and likely to be beat up there, too, because when the women come out and say there's a guy in the bathroom, that husband's coming in and we're going to have a problem. And it leaves human beings. You know, when we talk about trans people, they have, you know, one of the largest um, just kidney diseases and bladder infections. You know, a trans person goes through, you know, several bladder infections in a year. Man, just because of this issue. It's so important. And and I know that a lot of a lot of my community really boycotted and tried to wanted to cancel um Dave Chappelle. But I really kind of liked what Dave Chappelle said.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm I so love what he said, said
0: man. Yeah. Because it's so true. It is. You know, you're standing next to the six foot tall woman who, you know, what's more confusing. And it makes no sense. And I loved what Dave Chappelle said. I actually felt like he was an advocate. Yeah. You know, I think by saying that.
1: I think it's that spectrum of, you know, we were talking about asshole spectrum and predator spectrums and all that kind of thing. There's also the spectrum of, um, how should I say this? Uh, Of left, of when you're left leaning, right? Like, yeah, I'm a liberal person, all for everybody's rights. But Mm -hmm. there's a too far when it comes to who you're trying to cancer or why the things that Dave Chappelle is saying are profound. And he says them because he's getting your attention because he wants you to listen to it. Right. The more he talks about it, the more voices he is given to it. Right. And, you know, and you don't you're if you're not seeing that. And you got to watch his entire hour for context. The whole thing. Don't just yeah. watch the four-minute clip that you're going to hate and you're being told to hate. Look at this and hate this four minutes. Right. But don't watch right. the full hour of why. Right. And, and, and you right. Don't, if you don't understand the plight of what he's dealing with as an African-American man compa- right. and comparing it to trans and how you can get rights a lot faster and a lot quicker, and you can get people behind you, and you can get senators behind you faster yes. for your trans rights and LGBTQ. He doesn't have the LGBTQIA because if you say right. Black Lives Matter, you say that's a fucking antifa, you right. know what I mean? But you right. say you say right. LGBTQ, and they're not saying antifa, right? And so he makes right. a point. He, he does. makes a valid point, and you you have to give him a chance to explain it. He right. is he is somebody who chooses his words extremely wisely. He yes. is one of the he's most. The, I'm I'm into writers. I'm into comedians. Mm. I was a. He's he's right here, dude. <laughs> that's Chappelle right here. He's on my he's on my Mount Rushmore of comedians. That Seinfeld, Chappelle. George Car George Carlin, I see Seinfeld, Carlin. Pryor, and I Chappelle. See, okay,
0: that's Pryor. All yeah, right.
1: those yeah. are my four my Mount Rushmore, right? And yeah, all of them they cared about storytelling, but they also cared about how they said their words. George Carlin cared about words. We know this. Seinfeld is so particular with his words. Chappelle and Pryor just a storyteller, but Chappelle, he chooses his words wisely. He just won the Mark Twain Award. You don't just win that shit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I want to tell you, you know, I love I love Dave Chappelle also in that is that Dave Chappelle gave us an amazing insight into the cis male like mine like how it's be how it's seen from somebody who's not in the body and i think that that's valuable and before we you know i did a whole show on my transgender mentor platform on cancel culture and have we gone too far is because you know the reason I appreciate
1: that so much
0: (laughs) well the reason that I even wanted to do transgender mentor is because a lot of the times people don't stop and hear what we have to say or allies don't step out because they're so fucking scared to say the wrong thing because it takes one second and and I know this because I when I first started transitioning I was going to a support group in my town in, in Wilmington and dude after like time three, I was so nervous because, you know, I, I use the word guys a lot. And I'm sitting in a room full of male to female people transitioning, and I say, I love you guys. And all of a sudden, I'm a tat, you know? It's like, holy shit, I'm too nervous to go. And yeah. we can't be like that, man. It's it's it,
1: every, You have to understand, you have to listen to people because it's not what they're saying, it's how they're saying it. If mm. they're misgendering you, And but they're doing it in a sense if you're listening to how they're misgendering you, though, if it's your parents misgendering you, yeah, they're probably doing it with an affliction to upset you and strike a nerve. Right. But if it's somebody who is your friend and they misgendered you, but they're talking really fast and they're telling a story, they're probably excited and they're probably not meaning to. And that's just how they always told the story with her in it. Yeah. And so just give them a break. You know, yeah, we yeah. we are trying. The allies absolutely. are trying, yeah, and absolutely. and you can hear that. So if as long as you're listening for it, and yes. that's the thing that I like to talk about, at least at our meetings, is like listen for how we're talking. Absolutely. You know, listen to how people are talking to you. If if they're yeah. misgender, you know, if they're mis pronouns or whatever and it just they're making you uncomfortable but it's if they're hell they're saying is it can't be what they're saying you have right. to give them a break and right. you know cuz a lot of people they're trying their best
0: and they, they don't know they are and we don't want to alienate people and it's just like race relations it's not going to change, which is what Chappelle of said. Us, exactly. It's not going to change because of us. It's going to change because of the allies. The allies continue to stand up and make their peers feel safer and, and, and more, you know. At and ease. he and he
1: knows more about that, you know, than anybody else. Chappelle, the power of allies, because this is I'll, this is the last thing I'll say about Chappelle is. You know, last November, not this past one one before, I think it was 2020, right, when, mm-hmm. so crazy, I think that was a year and a half ago, right? Yeah. Um, but that. anyway, you know, so that November, um, Chappelle found out that his show was streaming on all these platforms, Chappelle show, and he mm-hmm. wasn't seeing a dime for it because he made that deal when he was 18 yeah. years old with Viacom. Yeah. So yeah. he didn't own the rights to that show when they sold it to Netflix and to Hulu and to Amazon. He's not seeing money for that. Yeah. So what he did was he called up Netflix, who made all the specials and said, hey, this makes me feel bad. Can you take this down? They're not paying me. And he, yeah. and Ted Sarandis said, yeah, man, I got you and took it down because he wants that relationship. Yeah. Everybody else though, told him, no, we didn't make this deal with you. We made it with Viacom. Talk to yeah. them. Yeah. And so he called Viacom and goes, hey, you guys aren't the people that made <laughs> me that deal. And they said, yeah, we're not. So sorry about your luck, but we're not doing anything. So Chappelle said, I'm coming to you guys. And he put out a 10-minute YouTube video. And he put it on his Instagram for 10 minutes. And you watched it, and it was saying, hey, this is a plea to all my fans. Don't watch my show. They, they yep. will not. Don't yes. watch my show. You know yes. And then I will let you know if they come to me. And when they make a deal, I will tell you when to watch it. And yes. everyone stopped watching. And then four months yep. later, he got paid and he said, hey, guys, I got paid. Watch my show again. It's all <laughs> like, yeah, he knows the yep. power is inside he of does. the people that out there and not inside the suits in the office. And that's right. a very creative, innovative thinker to very. think that
0: way. It's a very wise thing. And, you know, I really one of the things that I really, really so, you know, last year, I began to really go through a lot of personal issues, and I was dealing with a lot of hate on the internet, and and like I said, my platform had grown, you know, to be rather large, and it looked like the dream was coming true, but at the same time, you know, I was going through all these personal changes, and I thought about Dave Chappelle. When Dave Chappelle walked away, you know, from his show at the pinnacle of its success with, with the biggest offer that had ever been made in television, but yet he was going through these personal, you know, I found strength in that. And so I walked away, like I stepped away because while my personal life was falling apart, I found myself like happens. And and like I said, in the last night's uh, episode of my show, it's a human being. It's not a bad person thing when the ego stands up and and starts to take control of this. It happens very sneaky. You're going through some shit over here and us as content creators, we begin to find our worth when we're not feeling important. We can feel important when we feel likes and hearts and those things. And I started finding that I was more dependent upon that and I didn't feel like people were getting the best of me. And I needed to honor this healing that was trying to take place in my life. And I needed to show myself that I could do this and do it authentic, that I could back away from that platform, handle what I needed to handle, go through that healing and then come back. And people said I was crazy because it's like I'm starting over from scratch now, but I'm starting from a place of pure authenticity. So I I really love dave Chappelle for that i understand that and i mean like i love him like i do yeah. he's a mentor you know yeah that Part is
1: i really i respect that so much <clears throat> and um all right so we went on a and this is how my show always goes
0: yeah, you know? yeah, we went just,
1: so you know when did you go from were you 18 when you went from drinking to drugs
0: um, I think yeah. Well, I started. I, I dabbled a little bit in drugs when I was like twelve and thirteen, but I became like a a diehard addict from between the eighteen and nineteen. Like, and what was year, that
1: drug of choice that you found?
0: Opiates. It was opiates. It started out with like this. Is um, it heroin? Um, well, not not quite. Not yet. It started out with um, this this pain medicine that it was a liquid that I'd gotten when my tonsils was out. Um, And a friend of mine told me, Oh, you can take this stuff for fun. And I was like, no, really? And sure enough, I mean, we went on a road trip and we took this huge bottle of this stuff. And by the time we got to where we were going, I could promise you we were overdosing like I was jittery and like, but that was the moment that in that feeling I felt like I always described it as an everything's okay. Like this is what happiness feels like. This is what calmness, you know, like peacefulness feels like. And I couldn't naturally get it. You know, I had too much shit going on, carrying too much shit, too many secrets, too many masks to keep together. And now I had this outlet and, you know, you know, back and then in the early nineties and stuff, it was very easy to get those things. I mean, the pharmaceutical companies were just blanketing people with it. Big oh Pharma just pushing it. I mean, the commercials,
1: pushing. you know, that's awesome. when the sales reps were became a thing. Yes. And that's when it was being pushed and all the doctors off. I mean, yep. it was like a movement. You know, oh, it, was. it was literally a movement. And, yeah. you know, everyone, a lot of people watch Dope Sick that watch my show because mm-hmm. I've talked about it a lot even when it was the first yes. on. Um and even now I'm watching like um the dark age of the nineties is like a Hulu documentary. Yeah. And my my wife and I watched like, I think the first five episodes so far, like, you know, and you forget about things like the Viper room. Yeah. And you know, and yeah. how like the drugs were and then yeah. and how heroin was and how like things were like and literally like Talk about, you know, body image in the 90s. Heroin chic was literally a fucking look that was popular (laughs) in the 90s.
0: Yeah, I achieved it, man. I was all of like, you know, 90, 95 pounds. You know, I ended up having my stomach um, had to have I burned these holes in my stomach from having ulcers for so long untreated that I had to have most of my stomach taken out. So within six months, I dropped 100 pounds. I moved out to Texas. I was introduced to methamphetamines. Um, had the pain pills going. And then because all my heroes, I'm a musician, so all my heroes were on heroin, that just naturally came in the picture. And within six months, I lost a hundred pounds and I was bartending at the largest lesbian bar in san antonio texas it was like my i was on top of the stars man it was like this is great unsustainable and when i became an addict all that shit and all those people turned their backs on me it's like we we pushed the party but once you lose control shame on you you know
1: how dare you
0: How dare you, you know, and so leave us because we we don't want to be associated with you. And I was homeless down and out. I mean, living in my car, living with a heroin dealer, you know, had to jump a train from Texas to New Orleans to escape some, you know, some gang related shit that I didn't even know I was in until there was a hit on my life. And, you know, so it quickly went like I quickly. Barreled out of control when heroin came into the picture, quickly, quickly.
1: And yeah, and, so, and like you said, and and that was also the thing, like in the mid '90s, was heroin. You know, oh yeah, that's when it was reintroduced. And the that documentary does talk about that. Like that's why they talk about where Kurt Cobain, obviously, but you know, a lot of musicians besides him were mm-hmm. getting bad with heroin, and not oh yeah. even musicians, but actors. And then when they're doing it, it's yep. making it look cool. For right. Everybody else to do it too. Like right. you know, not to say you weren't a famous musician, but you know, right. That's the difference. When you but that's whenever you yeah. yeah. So and for me with comedians even like Sam Kennison and like yeah. people in the eighties and nineties, like you think of those, and it was heroin like Chris Farley. Yes. You know, I'm looking at John Chris Belushi's Farley. signature on my wall. I have a you know, a thing Whoa. like but still again a hero, yeah. and you think you need to follow their path. Absolutely. So, it, looks glory I,
0: for, it looks glorious. It looks glorious. How long did long. you
1: stick around San Antonio before you left?
0: Oh, um everything really really fell apart for me I, in about 98. Um I went down to New Orleans for a little while and then I just couldn't stay away and I went back to San Antonio. Things got even worse and then I had this this girl that I had had a relationship with on and off. And I always like used to date normies. Like I had, I, there couldn't be two of us fucked up. Like, like somebody had to keep our shit together. Um, And so she had graduated law school and we had this, you know, long lost love kind of story. And I saw her again in a bar and I was at the end of my rope. Like I was shacking up in this seedy hotel room where I had overdosed like the night before. It was really weird. It was weird that I remember all of it. Um, And I saw her and she was moving to a place, little town called Victoria, Texas. And I just went with her. Like, it was just like, you want to go? Sure. Let's go. And the next day I was in another town and that's where I didn't realize like, so none of, And all that glorifying they did of heroin, they never told you how sick it made you, you know, like I never realized how fucking sick it was. So as soon as we get, of course, to Victoria, I'm sick as a dog. And so I go to the doctor and I tell him all the symptoms I'm having and he prescribes me pain pills. So and I, you know, in that time, they didn't tell us we could be addicted to them. I had no idea that I could really be addicted. Still, even though I had started out with them, I still didn't know that you could be addicted to doctor prescribed medicine. And there I was. Of course, it helped. It, it 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 was a miracle, you know, it completely went away. But I completely lost control. You know, i I was hiding this from, you know, this girl I was with. I or I thought I was, but I was doing my, I was hiding pills in my socks, bro. I was hiding pills in these cabinets in the bathroom. I mean, it was like fucking hell, just a full-time job chasing yeah. down these pills with no insurance, no money, couldn't hold a job for shit, you know? Because when you get up sick, you're not going to work, you know? No, yeah. It was, it was, it was a hard, you know, but it had been my life to have secrets. It had been my life to have all these big, deep secrets. And I remember just being so stressed out. And then finally, I think it was the year the Twin Towers went down, 2001, that we just kind of, I did find MAT. And and I had found, you know, methadone to be a help. But back then, the methadone that they used was the kind that produced a high. So I was really I got out of control with that because the programs back then they didn't really offer much in the way of let's help you. Oh no, here's just a legal place you can come pick this up. And you think you need to go higher? Okay, sure. Let's go higher. I mean, to the point where I couldn't even stay awake. It was worse than heroin had ever made me. But So we ended up, you know, kind of we we broke up and and I went back to Alabama. That's where I'd go back to dry out or hide out to my grandparents' house every, you know, so often. And and I went back and and I I tried my best to be like clean and sober. My grandmother tried to have me committed to a mental hospital because again, I'm going through this sickness, these wild emotional ups and downs. They don't know what's happening. I still really don't know what's happening, man it's so weird. Like, I just wasn't as aware as I am now of what was really happening for me. And so, you know, I would go back and forth to the MAT programs and found a few good ones, but I was still just carrying so much of that shame and guilt from my past that I felt like I was a broken human being. Like, I just felt like, what would i do sober you know like there weren't any examples like they are now that's why i'm so grateful for for you and all of us that are, are are speaking out about this because we didn't have examples back then we you had old grungy drunks you know that chain smoked cigarettes and drank coffee all the time and talked about how shitty life was and
1: yeah you know. yeah exactly that's you know that's, that's all and That's you're it. absolutely right. There was no social media that you could go on and see any kind of like what recovery was. No. And on TV, let's be real, they weren't showing, oh, no. you know, like they were showing Requiem for a Dream, but they weren't right. showing recovery. Right, right. You know, right. and they wanted because right. no one wants to see the other side of it. They just mm-hmm. want to see the dark side. That's entertaining. We're entertainment right. to them.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, believe you that. You know,
1: yeah. you know, Scarface. They, they, you know, yeah, he doesn't make it out. I guess. That's still, it's a bad example. But still, like again, you don't see the recovery. And whenever no. the only there's only like Mom mm. that show that show nails it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. I say to my it's wife true. and I, watch are watching it for the first time, and like yeah. we're like on season like six. We're almost done. <clears throat> you know, it takes us forever to watch something because our attention yeah. spans like oh, you know yeah. we get. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many times after a long day we get in bed it's like do you want to watch something new or zone out and yeah. it's always like yeah let's put on Bob's Burgers and zone out yeah. for a couple of hours <laughs> yeah. you know and that's <laughs> that's, that's cool. our night yeah. you know and we don't watch shit new yeah. you know no. so it's so hard nope. for us to watch new shit because we don't yeah. have to for us to both be on like to both have the attention span at the same time is rare oh yeah you know oh, yeah. especially ever since you got diagnosed with MS it's even harder so, wow. you know, you know what I mean? Like and, yeah, and it. oh right. okay. Yeah, she it's just got tough. diagnosed in August. Her older oh, sister has it as well, so at least she has somebody close to her that she can talk yeah, to yeah. about everything. Good. Um, but Good. you know, it's finding yeah. the right medicines right now. It's yeah. been tough and the self conscious part of it that comes with it, you know, yeah. about the things she can't do anymore and how her legs oh, yeah. don't work any and it gets all in your head. She's only thirty eight. Yeah. Um, I know, yeah. so yeah, but we're, we're, you know, but still we're not even thinking about drinking or using, it's not even, right. it, it's right. so weird and talking about like, you know, just for today mountain over molehills is coming up
0: mm. and
1: you know, it's so funny that like early in recovery it was like, you didn't do the fucking dishes. And like, and that would like freak me the fuck out. Like in rehab if someone didn't do oh dishes, gosh, yes. like that was like the mountain of the day if someone didn't yeah. do the dishes right. And now it's I hell. have an actual mountain of MS and it's like. Oh, yeah. I don't even think about drinking or using.
0: Right, right. It's amazing, <laughs> man. It's fucking amazing. Man. It is fucking you know? amazing. Like you last know? year, you know, like I, I started when I got into the, when I started my recovery program. So like I knew that, that, you know, after I had that nine month relapse where, you know, my son was in the other room, I'd just taken a hot shot to the neck. I'd just come out of, you know, that was the the year before my big talk with my son. I just walked out of the jail house. We were living in my mom's house and her husband hated lesbians and he hated that we were there. And, and we had a son that was, you know, he had gained a hundred pounds in a few months. And we, we learned that he had something called Cushing's disease, which was a disease in adolescence when they are stressed. They have an overproduction of cortisol. And so it causes them to gain a lot of weight very quick. And we were watching that happen to him. And I wonder and I,
1: what could have stressed him out so
0: much. Exactly, because we thought we were hiding this relapse from him, but the whole energy man, the energy was like, in the house—like twelve,
1: eleven, twelve.
0: Yeah, he That's was twelve such, and thirteen. Yeah,
1: such a perspective, such like a an age of like you don't even know they're watching you. Age. Oh, yeah where um, like i feel like by 12 they know how to hide they know oh where the God. they know where the creeks are yeah. and cuz i remember yeah. being 12 and then that's the age where you're like you get good at listening oh you yeah you get you get oh, good yeah. at not being seen when you and yeah. you know that too you oh,
2: know, that's yeah. like
1: when you start sneaking out i don't know if you ever snuck out of your house i snuck out all the oh, time yeah. you know what i mean and i my bedroom was the third floor so for oh, me God. to sneak out i would have to go down my attic steps Go past my parents' bedroom and then down those steps. You know, so like it wasn't an easy thing. So you had to know where the creeks yeah. were, and you had to yeah. do a bunch of dry runs, yeah. a bunch of practice runs to make sure you get the doorknob just right. You don't want no. the doorknob to fuck you up either. No. You gotta no. put the doorknob all the way back on the lock, too, because then if my dad goes to the bathroom seeds off the hook, right. I'm
0: caught. That's it. You know,
1: <laughs> it. so that's, it. that's yeah. the those that's the I, I think I was 12 or 13 the first time I snuck out. So, mm-hmm. but that's when you start being wow. able to like to be in the room without anybody noticing yeah. it. My parents weren't alcoholics, you know, yeah. my parents weren't drinkers; they would only drink when it was a party, right, mm-hmm. So I had to be extra sneaky, so like I can imagine for your son to to really be able to see what was going on and for you to be out of your mind yeah. and not even realize you were being listened in on,
0: yeah, for sure, I mean, you know he would hear the typical you know drug deal conversation where it's like yo i need to get 12 of you know those trees i mean all this bullshit you know code that you think you're so smart you know at and and then you know it's his mom and me in the bathroom you know together for a whole hour whispering and getting pissed off with each other that's too much water and you know shit like this and you know, and then all of a sudden we're up and gone at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, we're running to the store for three or four hours because the plug never shows up. And, you know, it's like, it, and then we're sick. God God forbid we go a day where we can't get anything. And, and now then you're we're both the sick at the food. same time. Right. Like we don't even come out of the bedroom We're like feed yourself. And yeah, so he was definitely, and then not to mention the pressure that you know was happening between you know with my mom and them because her husband didn't want us there and that's you know that's tense and and he feels that and he knows it and to, and to so know you're not so wanted yeah yes it's it's it, it, it was a sad thing and and that was that was how's I doing now oh he's he's an amazing 22 year old kid i mean he's out in seattle he's he's just a he's a really really good good kid i mean he's got Such a great a cool heart setting. That's yeah cool yeah city, like yeah know. i'm proud of him he, yeah. he took off and you know he went to places he wanted to go and that's all i ever wanted him to do is yeah, I mean, you know and that was why i made that decision i was like i can't either i gotta leave here and just leave his life and and because he was my stepson so like he's yeah. my wife's biological child but i had been in his life since he was four so i had always been his dad and so my
1: wife's dad is the guy that was like her stepdad yeah you know for like four years she has a stepdad that's been her stepdad for like 20 some years but whoever she calls dad is this guy who was her stepdad from like when she was two or two years old till she was like seven you know and he's still in her life to this day that's beautiful
0: that's beautiful the step to be a step parent is it's it's almost sometimes a thankless kind of position to be in and it's a strange my position my my kid's but, 7
1: yeah i, yeah. I came I, he I, he was 5 when i met so, my wife so, and know. and yeah. you know i wasn't around for you know he was born premature and it was like an and you know she had to have you know she can't give birth anymore because of how traumatic that was and that kind of thing and yeah. so and i know that they had he didn't talk to her, he was like 2 but he knew he knows sign language because my wife yeah. learned and taught him sign language at, like, eight months old. So, yeah. like, he, yeah, so he's still, you know, he knows sign language even to this day at seven because of what he, that's how he communicated at first. And so, like, I heard of that plight that they had. But still, when I entered, he was five. And yeah. I'm the kind of laid-back person, as you can tell, like, you can tell I'm a laid-back person. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I don't scream, right? And that's just, like, it's not even a rule. It just I don't do it. I It does yeah. not have an effective thing. My dad never screamed at me because he knew it wouldn't have been effective, you know. And I understand, yeah, military, yeah, you scream at somebody and they they react, but it's not going to be effective for everybody, especially not emotional people. And this kid's an emotional kid that will cry easily. And so it's a lot easier for me just to sit down and talk to him. So I'm glad I met him at five (laughs) because he he can comprehend the words that I'm saying to him. And I'm like, Dominic, what are you doing? Can you just tell me out loud what you're doing and how ridiculous it sounds? Let's listen (laughs) to it, buddy. You know, (laughs) like I'm so I'm so like practical with them that it's like it throws them off.
0: i love it though you know like i love i love being a stepdad like i yeah Because I, you know, I was never going to be able to have children of my own i i didn't my my parts in that way because of being born intersexed didn't actually work and i wasn't gonna do that anyway you know yeah.
1: like i, I, I never had yep. <laughs> i never no. had plans even that's why my wife was like she was worried you know like when she met me because She's I'm 35 and she's 38. When we met, I was 32 and sober. She's like, you're not going to want to start a family now that you're sober and all. That. And you know, my first fiance was my childhood best friend. You know that took her life. So oh. and when she was sick, she was bipolar and schizophrenic. And she always told me she never wants to have kids because she's so afraid that the kids will have her genes. So yeah. you know, I was already set on not having kids in my 20s with my first oh. fiance. And and my my wife said she's only grateful because like I'm such like of a comedian at the end of the day that like I wanted to have a like I'm the fourth in my family right that's why I'm JD I my dad and my grandfather and my great grand we're all Gerald the fourth you know I'm the fourth third all the way up so everyone's like oh you're gonna have the fifth and I was gonna do something different um my son's name was gonna be Sir William Dilks the seventeenth. Um, because you can write any Roman numeral you want on that thing. No one's checking it at the door, you know? (laughs) So I wanted wanted his first name to be sir and his middle name to be William. And only for, like, so that I could know that he was in school and his teachers were saying, like, raise your hand, sir. Like, like, I don't even need to be there for the joke. Just know when it's happening. (laughs) It's the payoff to me that he's going to be respected. He could be a king one day. (laughs) <laughs> because he walked around what's your name sir william I'm like what the fuck does this guy say his name was my dad Just, hates me that's what my name is
0: <laughs> I love it. I so love my, it.
1: my wife's like i'm so glad that i can't have a boy with you because like i know you would have talked me into that name because you would have got my head about how good that name really is and how i could call him will or whatever and you just want to call him sir in public. Like, no, you know that, you know that running joke, like, oh, sir, like, mister is my father. You know, like, uh, I wanted to do like, no, sir is my son. Like, <laughs> that's
0: like, that's, I, like
1: I wanted to do that that's just for awesome. that running joke for this kid's life. It. And I that's why and that's why I'm a stepdad. <laughs> and that's why I should always be a stepdad. And, and, the not produce... and, that's, and that's why I should not produce any children of my own. Because that's the shit that will come on the birth certificate. That's good. And in 30 years, that kid will be on a podcast talking about right? my dad hates me because... Right?
0: It's <laughs> my dad hates me. Everybody, all of us, join up. <laughs> my dad hates
1: me because he wants to be a comedian in real life. But, like... His not have a, I don't care about a stage. I don't do. I don't care about those laughs from a stage. I care about what I can do just to inflict an emotion. Yeah. And yeah. like, and just get a rise and then make people laugh. Like, I remember like when my brother and I lived in a loft together in Durham. It was a loft style because mm-hmm. it was like an old cigarette factory converted, the old L and M factory converted into apartments. Yeah. So like, I, my brother has a great cackle. And you know, so I would send him shit just so I could hear him in the other room go, Ha! <laughs> and it's like and that's what I needed was that like that cackle. <laughs> and that's you know, and I and I do that like we're so into pop culture in our family where like we'll get into these conversations about actors and who's in what and you know which actors in which movie. And but I'll play dumb with them to fuck with them, just that like and I'll go like with something obvious. Like, you know, like a Ferris Bueller. I'm like, you know, that's not who that guy is. Who you, like, what are you talking about? Like, and like, what, no, that's not Matthew Broderick and Ferris Bueller. Like, you guys are crazy. And like, and they're going to get so mad at me that, you know, that I, I how do you not know this, JD? And you know, and I'm just fucking with them because I can keep a straight face and not that's break.
0: Wife, oh, that's how my wife is, man. Like, like her, like her face. No stone ever, cold too. Yeah. Completely. You'll never even know. Is she good at
1: manipulating?
0: Oh, my gosh. Because man. the
1: ones that can keep a straight face are the best manipulators. Oh, because yeah. we're never breaking oh. our – we know how to hold our facial structure.
0: Oh, you can believe. Like, if they're and, – and, Oh, and I live it, buddy. I live it. My, my wife is one of those people that if there's something she doesn't want you to know, you'll never know it. Like, she's always been my ride or die. I remember being at the grocery store one time and I used to have rageful anger, rageful anger. Right. And I was at the grocery store and, and this, this person did something to me and I just reached through the window and just, Bam! Like right on the chin. Like jumped in the car. I, I send my I call my wife a message and I'm like, I'm I'm on the run. Like I just punched the shit out of somebody in the parking lot. My wife, as soon as I come home, she's like, back the van up. She's standing out there waiting on me. I throw the van in reverse. We're hiding the license plate. We're hiding it. There's my wife. Like my wife has always been that ride our die chick, no doubt. Like she's yeah. got me and okay. she'll never crack.
1: But I also, I can bet you, just from having that in common with her, I bet you, though, I'm the kind of person that if I want you to know something's wrong, but I don't want to tell you something's wrong, I'm going to make sure you can tell by my face that something's wrong. Oh, yes. without. So that's the other thing that manipulators are good at, is not only hiding it, but showing it when we want to show it. Exactly. And yeah. what we're saying is, please talk to me. Yeah, yeah. What I'm so, saying no. Please. Like it's hard for me to say it out loud. I need you yeah. to start this. I need you yeah. to say what's wrong.
0: I, I desperately need you to like call yeah. me out on this and let's discuss it. Yeah, my my wife has been through that. She went through a whole lot of trauma. I always say that the white my wife of of this is our seventeenth year is the only other person that had been through you know so much trauma that i had ever really been with and and dated and and you know like again watching I, I don't see it always i see it more now in myself of how much i've been through but i get really really emotionally impressed when i look at my wife and just how stoic when i i hear about her life you know when when her mother would leave them and how she had to take care of her brother and sister and she's not the oldest she's the middle child but you know she got them ready for school and she washed their clothes with no electricity and she did all this stuff i just see you know the strength and and when she had her addiction to heroin you know it was the first time that i felt like she was almost taking care of herself in a way like even though it's it's a negative way to take care of yourself, it was the first time that she had put herself first, if that makes sense. It's a yeah. fucked up way to see it. But, but no,
1: it, I, it totally I, makes sense because, you know, it's – and I hate to equate everything to TV, but I watch a lot of TV. Um, but if you watch Shameless – Oh, I don't. Watch I okay. I so that, that. That, that would be a lot of relation to your wife. Um, Because the oldest daughter, you know, and I know that she wouldn't relate in that way because it's the oldest daughter, right? But the oldest daughter takes care of, like, you know, five or six of her brothers and sisters. And then when they're all old enough to where they don't need her anymore, then she flies off the rails and becomes like her mom and dad that, you know, abandoned all of them. But because she felt abandoned by them, she felt... Now it's okay, I guess I'll go get fucked up on coke and drink,
0: yeah, well, my wife, and this was this it's it's crazy that you bring that up because that's exactly what happened, so you know she took care of us, like you know she took care of me in that you know she washed all the clothes, man she did all the house stuff i mean she i i at one point in the year two thousand and eight in 2009 had gotten so sick because I lost both of my grandparents and my brother in that year um and I gave up on life and I was given 6 months to live man I had no like my muscles atropine and everything she would pick me up carry me to the bathroom bathe me I mean this woman took care of me
1: was it your grandparents grandparents like grandmother and father or same or different or the only reason
0: that is them as a couple it was okay. Yeah, um,
1: I, and that was 2009 for you. In 2012, yeah. um, in June, my my studio is named John Johnson Memorial Studio. It's my best friend. Um, mm. and he he passed in a car accident in June 2012. But in September, um, 23rd actually on on my grandmom's birthday, on my let's say on my dad's mom's birthday, my mom's dad passed away. And then two weeks later, on my brother's birthday, my dad's dad passed away. So we lost both of our grandfathers within two weeks. And this was two months after my best friend passed. And in that September, my brother's really good friend from high school passed away suddenly. So like we both had like, but unfortunately, I was an addict. And fortunately, my brother wasn't. So I spun out. And then my brother, you know, got better. He dealt with it
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that was my my wife was that person for me because I'm going to blow your mind so right now so what happened you know on December the this was happened in 2000 and it was 2008 is when I lost everybody 2009 is when I got the diagnosis but on December the 27th of 2007 Out of nowhere, my best friend in the world, my brother, like this man was my brother more than any blood can I had like this was he was 33 years old. He come in from work and his heart exploded at 33 and it took my knees out from under me Um, less than, let's say, January the 12th, my grandmother, who basically half raised me as well. January the 12th, she died suddenly, like we didn't, nobody knew these people were going to die, they weren't sick, nothing, and then June the 12th of that, of that year, my grandfather passed, six months to the day that she passed, he passed, and my grandfather was my best friend, and, and all of that loss in that, like, I just spun out so crazy, like, it, it devastated me, June twelfth
1: was also the day my friend John passed away.
0: It's wild, man. Six six I,
1: twelve twelve.
0: As soon as I heard um, you say that twelve, that June twelfth, it was like, phew, that's yeah. crazy.
1: Oh, 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 you? I did say that. I got yeah, Well, you said
0: June twelfth of uh, somebody okay. else's passed. Oh but, yeah, that was
1: that was my friend John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was June twelfth, two thousand twelve. And yeah. you know what's crazy is that day started with death for me, and it wasn't John's. Do You know wow. who else died on that day? that's like more of a prominent figure um it was <laughs> the real Henry Hill, um, oh good Goodfellas. Okay.
0: good yeah Hill. the, the okay. real
1: Henry that's Hill,
0: good.
1: yeah, he was you know always on Howard Stern a lot, yeah, and you yeah. know,, as you can tell by me loving podcasts and Howard Stern's like an idol to me, yeah, um, and he that. has been for a very long time the way yeah. he can get people to open up yeah. i when that, the best compliment and I've heard this compliment a few times and it makes me feel so good every time is, was I felt so comfortable opening up yes. to you. That's, that's the yeah. best compliment I can ever get. Yep, and mean. because it reminds me of Howard. Yeah. Because yeah that's right. People all the time when they're talking to him, you always hear them say the words they always say first. They always say, I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: that's so, true. <laughs> that's so fucking and true. So yeah. he's always
1: been an idol to me. That's um, amazing. But, yeah, I forget where you're even going because I went on that little rant. But that's how it happens, though. Um, hey,
0: it's the same way, man. I do my show. I just can't edit. So I, like, do this for an hour live in front of people.
1: Again, I'm about that emotion in the room. Yeah, and, yeah. like, with my brother, when I would want to hear him cackle, <laughs> I can I can edit an entire clip of a promo right next to my wife and add the music to it because I use the lyrics on YouTube so I know which part I'm using. Oh. So Great. I can like make the video and then send it to my wife. And then when she's watching it for the first time, it's actually the first time that I'm hearing it. Oh, that's and nice, there's been man. many times that I've cried because I've like nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love I
0: just, it. I love the song
1: it. was so powerful and like I chose yeah, it so they, wisely and I've yeah, watched man. it a hundred times to edit it, but I haven't heard it yet. And she always puts the volume up and that's how I want to hear it for the first time and have it affect me.
0: It's exciting, but, though. It's exciting yeah. that you can get that excited because for how long did you think you were a piece of shit? You know, and that whole addiction time, you think that you're just a piece of shit. And then when you see that you've got talent at something, that, you ha- that you're an artist, because that's an art, yeah. and that you're an artist and that you can make something that is so profoundly touching to others. Dude, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it.
1: funny, yeah. Because my before I was a comedian, I did stand up comedy, and I've okay. talked about this before. And you know, I was a comedian that didn't know how to laugh anymore. Mm-hmm. I would I would still I was a comedian in addiction, so I was I was broken,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, to the point where when I was like two three weeks sober when I was in rehab, and I started laughing really hard to something, and I felt my stomach hurt for the first time in a really long time from laughter. And then I realized then, in that moment, that every time that I was in the club and I heard a funny joke, I laughed, but I laughed with my head. Yeah. It was me being a smart enough person to hear a joke and go, "Oh, that's funny. Yeah. laugh at it, you, fucking yeah. idiot. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. you laugh with the crowd. Yeah, but I you know I wasn't laughing, laughing, right. and I'd forgotten how to, and you know, and it's the fucking the shame of a comedian that doesn't know how to fucking laugh. Of yeah. course, it's like the plight yeah. of a comedian—how yeah. broken Absolutely. we are. Yeah.
0: Um. <laughs> Absolutely, that was that was my my first goal when I was young. Man, I I loved comedians and I loved stand up, and that's what I wanted to do with my life. And and I think that you know, there's so much there's so much content in transitioning that at some point, you know, I've decided <laughs> that I'm going to write my transitioning stand up. You know, like yeah. there's so much and but and, but it, and
1: you should and there's and there's plenty of creators in the community too one of my favorite ones and that's a comedian um I don't, do you follow darcy darcy michael or is his name darcy michael I don't um know. darcy and jerry darcy and jerry is their names look up okay. darcy and jerry they're a gay couple in canada and um darcy is a comedian And he has ADHD um, and he has a podcast called like high school stories or something like that. Uh Um, And, but he is, they are so funny together and he's like, just like this pothead husband comedian and he's always like forgetting things. And they're always doing like this TikTok bit of like things. My husband forgot part nine, you know what I mean? Or Uh, think my uh, husband's a pothead because of this. And like, all of a sudden he ordered pizza from two different places and didn't realize it like that kind of shit. Like, but they're so funny together. and But yeah. he's a comedian, though. And that's when a- quarantine happened, a lot of comedians, they find yeah. other avenues, yeah. whether it was TikTok or podcasting. And yeah. for me, I found my way of combining comedy with our pain of, yeah. you know, we, we laughed a lot on this episode. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. you know, and that's kind of the point is that we yeah. find laughter in the hard times that we go through. And you'll come back and tell more stories. Cause oh, yeah. there's more stories to tell. We didn't even get into meat and potatoes of a lot oh, of yeah. things. So, yeah. and that's kind of the point of when you can talk to somebody for a while is yeah. come back and let's talk some more too. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you coming on and, and you know what I mean? learn about like, that's, Man. you're doing amazing. Where can your podcast be found at for now until you, you might be changing things up, but for now, where can they find you? And well, I'll put the now. links in the description.
0: Okay. For now, I'm really working on growing the YouTube platform. So I want, you know, I I really want to push to that. So, you know, youtube.com forward slash recovery soul food, but it's also available on anchor.fm forward slash recovery soul food, iHeartRadio, Spotify, um, iTunes, and, and, you know, that's it. That's where we are for now. And we're, we're doing the transgender mentor on YouTube as well, but that's a different channel. But we don't. We're not sure exactly where that's gonna go. I want to bring some funny into that while we're while we're teaching into that too. So um, yeah, let's stay let's stay connected with some guests and and I'd love to have you on the Recovery Soul Food podcast if you're up for a Saturday uh, uh, 100%. night. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, check us out there. We're also on Facebook at Recovery Soul Food, Instagram Recovery underscore Soul Food. Yeah, the link tree too. Yeah, there's a link. Okay, to it, I'll make sure to have that. So
1: whether you're, whether you're watching or whether you're listening, go in the description and there will be the yeah. link right there at the top to all of these platforms. Absolutely. So thank you again so much, Elsie. It was so nice getting to know you. Um, I'm free. I'm free okay. whenever you want on a Saturday night.